confess that uh, whenever I'm asked to be up in the front preaching, it's overwhelming. And then to have Pastor Brian here, and then Pastor John also here, it's a little bit intimidating for me. And uh, But I'm always grateful that uh, the Lord chooses to use us as He pleases. And so uh, we're grateful for that. You know, as I uh, stand here today, I... I just think about some of the things that are happening in our country uh, with regard to the scriptures and regard to the to the Bible. One of the uh, things that I hear more and more and more is people who want to change or modify the gospel of Jesus Christ to suit their own uh, position, their own thoughts and ideas. They don't want to preach the gospel as it is given to us in Scripture. And I feel that that is just creating a lot of frustration and confusion within the church. Uh, It's no wonder that uh, people around us question the Bible when we have people in the pulpit who are confused about what the Bible is saying and teaching us. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Recently in the Mining Journal, which for those who aren't from here is our local paper, there was a minister who sent a letter to the editor attacking what a Christian had written in a letter to the editor about salvation through Christ. And yet his attack was hitting at the very heart of our Christian message and the reliability and the truth of God's word. I want to read it for you. Just, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but you're going to get the gist of it here as I read this. And the reason I want to point it out is because the man who wrote this is a minister who stands in a pulpit in this community. This is what he says. I feel compelled to respond to Richard Leto's series of letters. I know Richard, and he is a good and decent man, someone who genuinely walks the walk of Christian faith. And those of us who do know Richard... Uh, know that that's true. Uh, He's a Gideon. He's a man who uh, loves the Lord and tries to be faithful uh, with the Word. However, I think it is important to say that the way he reads the Bible is not the way that many faithful Christians read it. Forcing it into literal categories, as he does, robs the Bible of the mystery and wonder, and most importantly, the theological truth that it contains. If he would have just said the last part, it would be good. But when he's saying that, forcing it into literal categories, he's taking away our ability to interpret the Scripture and rightly divide the word of truth, as God has instructed us in his word to do. He continues, Theological truths can't be expressed literally. It requires poetic images and stories and myths that create reality beyond that which our senses perceive. So in essence, if you follow this man's belief, he believes that the Bible are stories. He believes that they're myths. And sadly, there are many people who stand in pulpits today who believe that about the Bible. Those who I work with regularly and know 
One of my frustrations is that we sometimes talk about the biblical things that we read as stories. And I sometimes go off on these tangents against those kinds of things, you know, and, and um, the staff is looking at me and smiling because they know exactly what I'm talking about. But, but the problem is, is that when we call them stories, then we can combine them with the other stories that are out there that are not true. The Bible is God's holy word. It is the truth. It is our foundation of our belief system. And so what this pastor, this minister's position is, is that we shouldn't take the Bible literally. We shouldn't believe it to be what God has intended it to be for us. He continues, reading the Bible this way, eliminates the creation versus evolution debate by acknowledging the difference between scientific truth and theological truth and recognizing that both are of value. Science tells us how, theology tells us why, and the why is rooted in God's, uh, God's love for this world. You know, there's some things that this guy says that are good, but, but his interpretation of the Bible is frightening in many ways. And I see that and hear that more and more all the time. So today I'm going to share with you a message that is probably very basic and very simple, but I want it to be something where we can go back and say, that is the foundation of our belief system. If we can go there and we can be convinced that the Word of God is worth us knowing and sharing with others, And God can be glorified in our lives, not just when we're here at church, but when we're at the workplace, when we're out in the world, when we're at home with our families, that we can make Jesus' word alive and true. And so that's my uh, hope today. I hope that you're able to glean something out of this that would be helpful for you and your daily walk with the Lord. If you would turn in your Bibles... I'm going to start in Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. And for you that are using the Bible that's in the chair ahead of you, it's on page 1154, 1154. And as you're turning there, let me go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that it is the foundation. It is the truth upon which we build our lives. Help us, Lord, to be faithful men and women who... Live it and share it with this lost and hurting world that we live in. You are an amazing, awesome God. We worship you and we celebrate you. So be glorified in this time that we share together. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. So as we read this, and I'm going to just read it from the ESV here. Says this, for I would have you to know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached to me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. And one of the foundational truths that Paul says, and the reason I wanted included in uh, and include the reading today in, in Galatians, and we're going to go next to 1 Corinthians, but I wanted to start here because he lays a foundation here that's very important. It's not man's gospel. 
It's not something that somebody came up with. And if you go back to what I read a moment ago, uh, if it's a story, if it's something that's made up by a man, it really has no lasting value to those who would read it. It's a story. But Paul makes it clear, this gospel that he preached, that he had shared in his writings, this gospel is not man's gospel. He received it directly from Jesus Christ himself. Those of you who, who know the Bible, and many, most of you do, you know that, that Jesus met with Paul on the road as he was going to Damascus, and he changed Paul's life forever. And, and we have to believe here from what Paul is saying that Christ met him personally on that road, and he gave him that gospel that Paul would then preach and teach for the rest of his life. I don't know about you, but, but when I read something that's from man, I tend to be pretty, I, I think it's my old law enforcement background, I read something and it's like, hmm, I don't know about this. And I, I question and I wonder. And I, uh, There's times even when Pastor Brian's up in the front, you know, and he'll say something and I, you know, and I start to, and then I'll look it up in the Bible. Yeah, okay, he's right. You know, and I, but uh, that's the way my mind works. And if it's coming just from man, I can usually pick things apart. You know, I I went to, as part of my training when I was a police officer, and Wally, you may have had this training as well, where where you go and you 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 learn how to read through and into people's testimonies or their their things that they have said. And you can pick it apart based on terminologies and phrases that are used in there. When I go to the Bible, what I find over and over and over again is a confirmation of what was written here is confirmed over here. What was shared in this section of Scripture is also over here and over here and over here. Why? Because God wants us to understand this is truth, and you can stand on this truth, you can hold on to this truth. There is value in this truth. So if we were to compare those two theories, those two, or not theories, those two thoughts, one is that science is equal to the Bible, that we can't take the Bible literally, we have to interpret it using all of these other things, then we can get off into these areas where we distort it and we change it, we modify it to fit our own personal needs or our own personal ideas and thoughts. Paul is making it clear, this is not a gospel that's written by man. This is a gospel that was given to me by Jesus Christ himself. Take your stand on that. Hold on to that. That's what's important. Next, I want us to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And that's found in the, the chair Bible there in page 1142. 1142. This is um, I was thinking about this uh, this week. What is you know sometimes you hear about okay, what is your favorite verse in the Bible? And I have many. I don't have a very favorite, but this is my very favorite section of scripture. Some of you have probably heard me preach about this section of scripture before. I love First Corinthians chapter fifteen, and so. Uh, when I think about the gospel, and sometimes, you know, you, you use a terminology, and it's easy for us to kind of 
get into using terminologies that we as the church understands. And so when you come to gospel, what is, what is he talking about? Paul said, the gospel that I received is not man's gospel, it's from Christ, it's from God himself. What is the gospel? 1 Corinthians 15 is going to tell us. So let's read this and then I'd like to point out a few things. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the, all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. When you read that, when you see in... Uh, the verse here, uh, the comment, uh, he says, I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached, which you have received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved. So he's explaining the gospel. And then he says, in verse 3, he said, I delivered that to you of first importance. When you read something is of first importance, that should tell you something. He's saying that the most important thing that I have shared with you, that I'm going to share with you, I believe that I will ever share with you, is what he's saying, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The most important thing. Now think about that. Paul has written... A multitude of letters, right? I mean, we, we go into the Bible and we, we, we read those letters and we see all kinds of instruction. I mean, Paul's letters are, are full of instruction. They're full of things that are telling us this is how you should interact with one another in the church. This is how you should interact with people in the world. This is how you should do this. This is how you should do that. These are all of these things you should do. In this section, he says, I'm going to talk to you about the gospel. It's the most important thing. And when you read something like that, and I think that's why I love this section of Scripture so much, because when you read something like that, it kind of forces you to stop. Well, wait a second. <laughs> this is something pretty important that I'm going to be reading. It's talking about the Gospel. It's talking about Jesus Christ. I need to slow down, stop. What is He saying here? What is He teaching here? And I hope when you read this, you will have the same experience. You've heard me say many times before that sometimes when we're in the Bible, we're so used to reading it. And you know, I read through the Bible every year. And, and I, every time I read, I'm serious when I say this, I, I sit there and it's like, I've read this before. Why didn't I notice this before? There's always something fresh and new in there. There's always something valuable for us. But when I read this, it reminds me, but everything else I have to come back here because, as Paul said, the gospel is of first importance. 
Remember the gospel. Live the gospel. Follow the gospel. So verse 3, what does he say in verse 3? He says, let me get that one up there. For I delivered to you as a first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Isn't that, I love how he adds that at the end of these, according to the Scriptures, according to the Scriptures. In other words, you were told in advance that that's what was going to happen. Right? So at this time of the year, you might be saying, Pastor Hank, why are you talking about Jesus dying when he was just born this week? Well, of course, we celebrated it. But the reality is, the birth without his death and resurrection is meaningless. If Jesus Christ had been born, lived a perfect life, and died and was buried, that would be the end of the story. And so what? That's all it would be as a story. It would really have no meaning to it. The gospel is much more than that. So, the old, excuse me, the Old Testament requirement for forgiveness of sins for the Jews was the sacrifice of a pure spotless lamb. And it was sacrificed for the removal of sins continually. Right? It had to be done on a regular basis. Why? I know that nobody else in, in this room except me is this is true about, but we continue to sin. We occasionally mess up. We say or do or think something that's a sin. Like I said, I know none of the rest of you are that way, but I'm talking about myself. So, for me, I would need to be killing so many lambs. I mean, I, I, I don't know what I'd be doing. I'd have to be bringing them in here. We'd have, you know, we'd have so much stuff outside here. It would be terrible. Because we all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. And that's what he's saying here. Since Christ died for our sins once for all. We don't have to bring the Lamb anymore because the Lamb, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, came and died on that cross for you and for me. So we don't have to do it over and over again. Praise the Lord for that. Also in verse 3, it says, uh, for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, okay, uh, in verse 4, I'm sorry, that he was buried. One of the things, and some of you have heard me say this before, but one of the things that I think about when I think about Jesus being buried, the Romans who crucified people, who put people to death, that was their prime, primary job. They knew what they were doing. So, when it says that Jesus was dead, those that crucified him made sure he was dead before he was taken down off of that cross. There's no doubt in my mind because, you see, in those days and at that time, if something would have happened and he wasn't, they would be held responsible. And they, those who were responsible for doing the crucifixion, would not have wanted to have the judgment of the government upon them for having messed up. They knew when somebody was dead. And so, Christ, when it says Christ died for our sins, He died once 
for all of us for all time. He doesn't have to keep dying. He doesn't have to keep being crucified over and over again. He died once for all. He was buried. But man, praise the Lord for the next part, right? He was raised on the third day in accordance to the Scriptures. The Old Testament prophecies had been that Jesus Christ or that the Messiah would come and be crucified, but He would be raised back to life again. And when He was raised back to life again, you all know that it wasn't done in secret, right? He wasn't he didn't get raised back to life and then kind of go off and hide someplace. He didn't, he didn't kind of go and disappear, but uh, he appeared to a lot of people over a period of time. Let's look at that a little bit, and we'll kind of work through these. Um, Jesus appeared to hundreds of people. Verse 5. And that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter. Then to the twelve. Okay, so the twelve, this includes uh, Matthias, who had been appointed as Judas's replacement. Judas was the one who had betrayed Jesus. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Notice what it says at that. Then he appeared, I mean, verse 6, appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time most of whom are still alive. Do you ever think about why, why is that little phrase put in there? When this was being written, what this is saying is, look, if you don't believe me, there's 500 plus witnesses. Go and ask them. They're still alive. That's what he's saying here, right? It's not, you know, I'm telling you a story. I'm not telling you something that you can't verify. He's saying, look, he appeared to more than 500 people. You think you can get 500 people to agree to a conspiracy as significant as this? If we as this group here, and we're far less than 500, if I was to say, okay, today we're going to have this conspiracy that we're going to carry on, and we're going to go out and, and, and spread this word out there, I'm going to guarantee you that before you left the building, most of you would either, one, number one, forget the conspiracy theory, or number two, you would choose not to do it. And let me add to that, the twelve, Peter and others, would not have carried on a conspiracy and then be willing to go and die for that conspiracy. So, when Paul is writing this, he's saying, look, he appeared to hundreds of people. Go and ask them. Go and ask them. They can tell you that they saw Jesus alive. Then he appeared to James, who was Jesus' brother, and he was a leader of the church. Then the apostles. This is a larger group than the, than the twelve. This is a, we don't know how many exactly. We're not given a number. But uh, one of the uh, requirements of apostleship is that they had seen the resurrected Christ. And lastly, he appeared to Paul. And isn't it interesting that Paul didn't even feel qualified to call himself that? He's saying, last of all, he appeared to me, and I'm unworthy. And he knew he was unworthy because he had persecuted Christ's church. He, he had been one of those who was, was bringing them, and some of them being killed because of him bringing them in and arresting them for being Christian. And so, they have the story, not the story, the truth. And that is 
that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. And then the last part is that he ascended into heaven. Jesus Christ died on that cross. He was buried. He was raised back to life again, seen by hundreds, and ascended into heaven. Look with me at verse 11 of this section. Whether then it was I or they that's sharing the word, we preach and so you believed. The word comes to us as people. And we have a choice to listen to the Holy Spirit speaking to us and convicting us and drawing us into salvation, or we can reject it. In Romans 10, if you want to turn there real quickly, page 1124, Romans chapter 10. And we're going to wrap up here pretty quickly, but I want to just make a couple more quick points here. Romans, uh, Romans 10, verses 9 through 13. There's a requirement that we see here that when we have heard the word, we have to choose to believe the word. And when we choose to believe the word, then we have to do something with it. So, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. The scripture is very clear here. We have to believe in our heart. What does believe in our heart? What does that really mean? Uh, to me, that means that it's not just a superficial verbalizing uh, of what uh, we've heard. It's not giving, uh, pleasing somebody basically to get them, <laughs> get them away from us. You know, you go and you share the gospel, you share the word with somebody, and you know, you ask, you, would you like to pray the prayer with me? And they, uh, yeah, okay, you know what they're doing, and we're trying to get rid of you. I've, I've done that. I, I've been with people where, where, you know, and then you look at their life later on, and you realize there was no there was no real decision made there. All they were trying to do was get rid of me. But you know what? That's, it's not my job to convince them. You know, I, I came to that conclusion a, a, a few years back, and it was so refreshing and so, so uh, wonderful for me because I don't know about you, but sometimes I always felt like it's my job. I have to, I have to just keep telling them and tell them so they believe. No, it's the Holy Spirit who will work through me and in their hearts with the Word of God, that they would believe in their heart and that they would truly believe and trust in Jesus Christ. And then the next part is that they would, uh, here we go, confess with our mouth. What does that mean? It means that I'm willing to tell people what I believe. I'm willing to tell somebody I'm a Christ follower. I'm willing to say to somebody, I am going to be in God's heaven because of the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. And you can be there as well. But I have to be willing to share that. I have to be willing to verbalize that. And we confess or say with our mouth that Jesus Christ was raised by God from the dead. And what a blessing and honor it is for us. 
In Romans, uh, and you don't have to turn there, Romans 10, 14 to 17. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, because they have not all obeyed the gospel. But they have not all. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. And I like what my commentary in, in my uh, Bible says. says this, People will call on Jesus to save them only if they believe he can do so. Now you can go and, and say it, but if somebody refuses to believe it and believe that he can do that, then they're not going to accept it. Belief in Christ cannot exist without knowledge about him. We have to open our ears and our hearts to hear what he has to say. One hears about Christ only when someone proclaims the saving message. When you read that, it, it might be easy for you, the, the scripture that I read there, it might be easy for you to stop and say, well, yeah, we have a couple of preachers here and they're going to be the ones that are going to go out and share. They're the ones who have the beautiful feet and are going to go and share the word. Well, you know what? The message isn't given just to those who stand in the pulpit. The message is given to each and every one of us. We individually have the ability to go and share that good news with this lost and hurting world. And it's our privilege to be able to do that. The message about Christ will not be proclaimed unless someone is sent by God to do so. So you might say, well, Pastor Hank, I haven't been sent by God, right? Remember what Jesus said when he was with his disciples at the very end of his life? They had asked him, when are you going to come back, Jesus? When are you going to restore your kingdom? When are you going to be here and be the king? He says, don't worry about that. That's my paraphrase. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It's when you've trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes in you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the UP, up, UP of Michigan and Wisconsin and any, anywhere else to the ends of the earth. When you've trusted Christ, the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you are given that assignment. That assignment is to go and tell people about Jesus Christ. Some of you are sitting here saying, Pastor Hank, this is such a basic message. We understand this. But do you do the last part? Are you going out? Are you telling people that you work with about Jesus? I think I told you, some of you, this before, but a couple of years ago, I guess it is now, but they were putting a new furnace into our son, Brian and Corey's house, and I was over there and was chatting and visiting with the people. Brian and Corey were both working, so I'd gone over, and Joel Carpenter from our church was there and some other workers, and as I started to walk up the stairs, I could hear Joel sharing the gospel with the people. 
who were there. He wasn't preaching. He was, I think, maybe one of them might have asked a question about me and why I was there and all of whatever. And, and anyway, Joel just took that opportunity and he just started sharing the gospel. I thought, yeah, that's the way we need to live our lives. As, as we're at the workplace or we're at home, we can point out truth about Jesus Christ. Maybe some of you are here and you've never heard the gospel. You wonder, what was that all about? Well, each of us are given the privilege and honor of having eternal life through the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. But we have to accept that message in our heart and life and make sure that we obey it, that we accept Christ to be our Lord and Savior. It's pretty simple. The gospel message is so simple and yet it is so profound think about that it's a pretty simple message right christ god loved the world so much he sent his son jesus christ into the world you can all remember that christ came and he lived a perfect life and yet the world hated him so they crucified they killed him he was dead and they buried him in a grave but god did not allow him to stay there god raised him back to life again and he was seen over a period of 40 days by hundreds of people who could testify and paul is saying go and ask them they'll tell you about it hundreds of people saw him and then one day he was with his disciples and he ascended into heaven and he's still alive at the right hand of God the Father, the creator of the heavens and the earth, welcoming you and me to come into his presence. That's a pretty simple message. It's profound in in the sense of what God has done for us. But it's easy for us to remember. But we have to be faithful at making sure that we share that message because there are others in the world who are saying, don't believe what you read in the Bible. There are those who are saying you can't, you can't believe when somebody talks about salvation through Christ. That is our only hope and it's our only thing that we can rely on. I believe God's word. And that's what God's word tells us. Lord God, I thank you for this day and I thank you for your word. I thank you for the profound truth that salvation is found in no one else except Jesus Christ. To you, Father, to you, Jesus, be glory, praise, and honor forever and ever. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that you have sent to live in our lives. And we ask that you would be glorified in Jesus' name.